0: I've been following him for days, and I know he is here. I can see the signs. Sick people have been healed. Hungry people have been fed. The people in this town aren't so angry anymore. There is peace in the streets, and there is peace in their hearts. Because they encountered him. Because he is here. Well, hello. My name is Josh Walters. I'm the campus pastor here at the Mount Pleasant campus, one of the teaching pastors here at Seacoast. And we are so excited that you're here to worship with us this weekend. I want to welcome you if you're joining us online or in the chapel at an offsite campus, wherever you happen to be. We are excited that you are here as well. Got a couple shout outs for us as we get started today. The first of which is to our Columbia campus. Last weekend, Katie and I went to her grandpa's 90th birthday party and had the opportunity to stop by and worship at our Columbia campus. On the weekend, first time that we had gotten to be there, and man, just got me so excited for them as a campus and reminded me of one of the many things that I love about our church. They've been in desperate need of a new facility for a decade, 10 years, in a location that was hard to find, and I don't think they ever could have done this on their own, but because people across all of our campuses have faithfully given, we were able to help them make that transition, and in between services, I just kind of stopped and introduced myself to three different folks that were sitting there in the worship center uh, among a crowded room, and every single one of the three people that I introduced myself to, it was their first time. I was like, what, me too. You know, that's awesome. Glad you're here. You know, but it just got me excited for their team and what God's gonna do through them in uh, in this new location. I also wanna give a shout out to uh, Foundations Church in Lafayette, Louisiana and City Reach Church in Forest Hills, New York. Two new churches that are being planted this week through the ark. Uh, If this is your first time here with us or you don't know Pastor Greg, our founding pastor is the president of the ark which is the association of related churches and has a vision to plant 2,000 churches in his lifetime. And over the course of the next couple weeks we will have planted our 500th church through the ark which is so exciting and a portion of every dollar that's given here at Seacoast goes to fund church planning as the most effective means of reaching people with the gospel that that are far from God. And so anytime one of these new churches launch through the ark, we get to celebrate when the people that are being reached and the work is being done. So as we get started today, let's take just a minute and pray over our time together and pray for both of these new churches as they launch this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for the blessing, the incredible gift of the local church. God, that we could come together and uh, just connect with friends, other believers, that we could uh, spend time in worship going after you and open up your word. We just pray that our hearts and minds We'll be fully prepared, God, for all that you would have for us today. We pray for Foundations Church and City Reach Church. God, you tell us uh, that you equip the called. So Lord, we pray that in every way, with the, with the people, the details, the logistics needed in launching this morning, that you would equip them, that you would show up and miraculously provide for them. Your word tells us that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. God, as they've built teams and moved across the country, we pray that you would honor their willingness to go and that they would reap a harvest. God, it's just incredible that only you could accomplish, that they would see lives changed people come into a relationship with you because of their willingness to go and be used by you. So we pray for them, we pray for our time together. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple weeks ago, I took our six-year-old son, Abel, to a birthday party at Sky Zone. Uh, Sky Zone is an indoor trampoline park here in Mount Pleasant, and I don't know what it is about that place, but every time that we walk in, uh, I feel at home. And uh, it seems a little weird, but uh, I'm kind of at the point in my life where I've settled that I'm probably never going to dunk a regulation basketball. Uh, But at Sky Zone, they have these rectangular trampolines with a series of basketball goals, big goals mounted at the end of them. And every time we go, man, I'll line up at the end of that trampoline, take a few steps, and something about bending down and being launched into the air, maybe putting the ball behind my back, doing a 360, putting the ball under my leg, having to worry about if my head or shoulders or neck are in some way going to collide with the rim as I ascend. It just feels like what I was created to do, you know? (laughs) I don't hear anything audibly, but it's as if I hear God saying, this is my son whom I love, you know? (laughs) With him I am well pleased, you know? And I'm sorry, if you follow me on social media, anytime I'm there or it happens, I'm going to get out my phone and hand it to someone to push the slow-mo button so that they can capture all of my childhood dreams coming true, you know? I just love it. When well, we walked in the front door and our six-year-old Abel sees his friends about 20 feet away and he just takes off running at them. And if you're a fan of old school video games, he pulls this like Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat move where he just kind of kicks up at them. One of his other friends comes from the side and does this elbow drop and they all fall to the ground. Counselors call this rough and tumble play, you know. It's like we had just walked in the door. Here they are. Dads are kind of looking down at what's happening here, slightly curious as to whose son is going to emerge victorious, you know. But they're all smiling, so we know they're just kind of greeting each other. They all get up and high-five, like, yeah, man, this is going to be an awesome party. We're so excited. And I was just kind of watching them as they walked away and turned to the other dads there and said, Can you imagine what it would be like if we still greeted each other that way? You know? (laughs) Like, if I would have come through the door and kind of locked eyes with one of them and just kind of ran up and done some (laughs) flying chest bump, like bah, landed, smack them. Who's your daddy? Come on! It's gonna be a great party. You know? Like we just don't do that. At some point between their age and ours, we've decided there's a more culturally acceptable. You know, a more mature approach to greeting one another, that we walk up and and do the dude deal where you kind of get hands and, like, beat each other on the back and get away quickly. It's like, good to see you, man. Yeah, you know. (laughs) We just don't express excitement, energy, affection like we did when we were children. My girls have a similar response. Uh, If they're planning to spend the night with a a girl. It's been on the calendar for a week or two. Uh, They may have seen the little girl at school all day long in between classes. They've called or texted after school, hey, don't, don't forget to bring your American Girl doll, you know, whatever it is. They've been in touch with each other. But something about homegirl showing up on our front door with a book bag and a pillow. The door opens and the girls are like, ah! You know? <laughs> they take off running up the stairs, jackets and shoes flying all over the place. Man, just so willing to just express their excitement and emotion. They'll close the bedroom door behind them. We won't see them for two hours, you know? Mass chaos. Now it's crickets. They come downstairs and they've, they've made up a dance, you know? <laughs> they've written a song. They got the chorus, the bridge, a guitar. It's more of a prop. They can't quite play it. But man, they've got, to, they've got something they want to show us. They're not thinking about like, man, what are mom and dad going to think about us? You know, do, are they going to think that we can't dance? or Are they going to laugh at our song, you know? they just got something on their heart. They've been working on something, they're not afraid to put it out there. Somewhere between their age and mine, I've either been told or picked up on the fact that I should do whatever it takes, that I should avoid at all costs singing or dancing in front of anybody, you know? (laughs) Because they will not look at me the same afterwards. That is just not the case for our kids. I thought about that this week, actually, Pastor Sam Lesky, who is our uh, North Charleston campus pastor, posted a video on Facebook that I wanted to share with you. Hey, I just want to say thanks to so many people who blessed me in my, in my life, to my neighbors, friends, family, co-workers, uh, teammates, coaches, teachers, everybody who poured into me. I just woke up this morning just so grateful, so thanks, thankful, and just want to say thanks to everybody who's poured into me, and I appreciate it. And the song's been going through my head, so uh, thank you for giving to the Lord, because I had a life that was changed. I know I can't sing, but thank you for being a blessing to me and my family. <laughs> Come on. Pastor Sammy bringing it to the world on the World Wide Web. I love it. <laughs> what I love about that is you can watch it and know that there is a reason that Pastor Sam was a campus pastor and not a member of our worship team, (laughs) But what I loved about that video was that he was sitting on his back porch spending time with the Lord and was overwhelmed with gratitude, just so thankful. And, And names and faces started flooding his mind. And he could have just thanked God for them, but he wanted them to hear how much they meant to him. And he had a song on his heart. And so he said it and he sang it and that was it. He wasn't thinking or worried about what are people gonna think about my singing voice? You know, There were people that, that he wanted to know that he loved, that he was thankful for, just how grateful he was for them. So he put the song that was on his heart out there. For the last few weeks, we've been in a series called Marked, where we've been looking at, at gospel encounters that people had with Jesus that in some way left them marked by his person, power, or presence. And today we're gonna to be in Mark chapter nine and 10. Uh, Jesus and the disciples are going through Galilee, and verses 30 and 31 tells us that Jesus did not want anyone to know where they were, because there were some things that he wanted to teach the disciples. So even in doing his best to pull away so that adults didn't see or know where he was, there was children that had kind of been trailing behind him, keeping their eyes on him, and instead of getting frustrated by the children, Jesus pulled them close and essentially used them as an object lesson for the disciples. To say, hey, as you mature in your faith, as you grow in Christ, there are a handful of lessons that we can learn from these children. Some ways that they express their heart, some ways that they trust in and believe in me. There are some attributes to their faith, some things about them that I want you to embody. Some ways that I never, ever want you to grow old. See, oftentimes for us as adults, as we grow up, uh, as we mature in our faith, we take words like childishness and childlikeness and define them as one and the same and put them both behind us. 1 Corinthians 13, one there at the top of your outline says it this way. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. See, thankfully for us as adults, there's a handful of behaviors Things that we do that are childish, that as we grow, we need to put behind us. Throw in a fit in public, you know, when they're out of the spicy chicken sandwich. You can't do that as an adult, you know. Wearing all of your clothes out of the house. That's an important thing to do, you know. Your neighbors don't look at you the same. Sharing your toys. The list goes on and on and on of childish behaviors that we need to put behind us. But in terms of the childlike nature of our faith, Jesus is saying, hey, there's a couple things that we can learn from these kids, uh, ways in which I never, ever want you to grow up. So what are they? How do we do that? Number one, there at the top of your outline, how to never, ever grow up is hang out with children. Hang out with children. So Jesus and the disciples are there in Galilee. They sit down. He pulls some of the children that have followed them close. And in verse 37, there on your outline, he says this. Whoever welcomes one of these little children in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me does not welcome me, but the one who sent me. See, most of us hear that we need to hang out with children. We need to welcome children, and it resonates with us. Because we live in a pretty kid-centric culture. Uh, Our schools, after-school programs, summer camps, hundreds of apps, technology. There are endless ways to engage, entertain, and care for children. But that is not a shared experience around the world. Every year, we send out about 40 missions trips, many of which are focused on sharing the good news, education, providing medical needs, not to mention the basic necessities of love, care, and support to children. Many people do not share in the kid-centric culture that we do. A lot of folks in the U.S. will even take it to extremes. You know, you'll see families, adults, who will orient their whole lives around their kids' extracurricular activities. Katie and I have five kids, and man, I want them to have hobbies, Uh, I want them to love our family, love us, love their lives, but we're on the other end of that continuum, you know? It's hard to manage extracurricular activities for five kids, so we make sure the kids know you're welcome in the home. Uh, We love you, you know, but neither you nor your hobbies are gonna interfere with our date night, you know what I'm saying? (laughs) They know, every Monday, mommy and daddy got a hot date. The boys were confused all winter. Where are you going? What are you going to do where it's so warm, you know? We welcome them into our home. But culturally speaking, what is is Jesus saying here? See, when we welcome children into our lives, it comes a point where it costs us something, where it tries our patience, where it challenges our standards. See, all of us are good at engaging with children or welcoming children on our own terms, but it's at the point where it costs us something where it stirs up frustration or feeling in us or, or pushes on us in some way, that we really begin to experience God helping us love them through us and they really begin to learning uh, from us or picking up lessons from us. A couple of weeks ago, I was painting some rocking chairs in the backyard and I had started off spray painting them had bought like three or four cans and I was three or four cans into the project and like they didn't even look painted yet. Wind was blowing it all over the place. I was getting frustrated, so I was like, all right, we're gonna switch to a paintbrush, which I wasn't too excited about because the rails were round. It just wasn't gonna look the best, whatever. So I pull out the paintbrush and the boys are like, oh, it's on. <laughs> this is great, dad, you know? So Asher and Abel run over, can we help? I'm like, yeah, you sure can, you know? And thinking people are going to sit in these things and see the paint job up close. They're going to think I did it. Then I'm going to have to say they did it. This is not going to be good. So I, I talked through the deal with Asher. We do little strokes up and down, little dabble do you, you know, just barely put the, the brush in the paint. And I hand him the brush and ba you know, he dips the whole paint dripping all over the place. And I had modeled the up and down, you know, stroke. And, but he thought it would be cooler if he walked around the chair, you know, so there's paint running all over the deal and I'm like oh thanks buddy you know quickly take the brush back good job good job Abel your turn you know showed him the same technique you don't need to dip it there's plenty of paint on the brush you know now so the moment I hand the brush to Abel Asher wants to see what this newly painted chair would look like moving so he grabs what he just painted and starts moving it I'm like, buddy that's paint all over your hand and a big print on the chair no don't oh come on buddy and so at this point Abel's already done his stroke and Wants to go back to soccer, so he lays my paintbrush in the grass. <laughs> There's dirt all over it. Like, man, it's been a hot minute since I welcomed y'all into this moment. You've already created 30 minutes worth of mess, you know, for me to clean up. It's hard for us when we welcome children into our lives. It challenges our standards. And for an adult, for me, I'm so task-oriented that oftentimes I could think the impact of my life is going to be measured uh, by the excellence at which I complete all of my tasks, you know? When the reality is for the kids, they could care less about painting the rocking chair. They just wanted to do something cool with Daddy. We're out in the yard, pain, Dad, let me help. Man, if I'd have gotten a couple more brushes, they'd have slopped paint all over those things, you know, just to be there doing it with me. For me to welcome them into my life. It's one of the reasons that we're so passionate about the foster care experience uh, uh, ministry here at Seacoast. Just over a year ago, we entered into a partnership with Lifeline Children's Services because here in the Low Country, there were 400 children in need of a home, in need of a family to welcome them uh, into their lives. And in two weeks, we will have finished up our first class, first nine week training for 14 families that'll be licensed as foster or respite families to really go after that. And Katie and I have been attending those classes. Uh, DSS has a law that with five kids, you can't be a foster parent. One that frustrates me, but it's probably a healthy thing for our, <laughs> for our family. But uh, one thing that we've learned in the class is that, man, this is going to be hard. There's nothing about welcoming a child into your life in that capacity that isn't going to be challenging, especially when they come from a traumatic background. Now, you may hear this point and think, well, the reality for me right now is we've got kids. We live in the house where kids are always coming over. If I'm honest, my prayer is, dear God, deliver me from this season. You know? Or you might be in a season where the kids are grown up and gone. And so you're thinking, check, you know, we did that. We welcomed those kids and then we commissioned them you know, out of our house. Whatever season you're in right now, I feel like Jesus' words to the disciples are the same ones to us. That anytime we welcome a child into our lives, we not only welcome him, but the one who sent him. We are welcoming the power and presence of God into our lives because there will come a point with any child where we don't have it in us to go the the length that we need to, where we can't show them the the degree of love that we need to show them. We don't have the grace or the forgiveness that's needed, and we have to turn to him and say, God, would you help me? In, In Scripture it says, in our weakness, his power is made perfect. And any of you here that are a parent or work with children, or got him around, you know there are a lot of weak moments, you know, where you have to trust in him. But as you welcome children close to, you'll you experience his power and presence in your life. So how to never, ever grow up. Number one, we have to hang out with children. Number two there on your outline, we have to protect the innocence of children. Protect the innocence of children. So in chapter 9, verse 36, it tells us that as the, Jesus, as the children had drawn close to Jesus, he scoops up one of the children and he's holding them in his arm almost as if like it's a a living parable. All throughout the Gospels, we would see Jesus take things that the disciples were familiar with, sheep or shepherds or lost coins, in some way to give them a visual of what it was that he was trying to communicate. And in holding the child, he was building some tension between what it was that they were seeing and the truth that he was going to be sharing with them. I know all of you know what it looks like uh, for a parent to hold a child, the innocence and purity there, but I brought a picture uh, to show you just so that you could have it in your mind as we read through the passage. (laughs) That pure, innocent child (laughs) there, (laughs) all right. Some things you can't unsee, (laughs) I'm sorry, I'm sorry. It's actually Pastor Michael holding me after a long day at the office. (laughs) I I was proud of him though. I said, hey, Pastor Michael, can you hold me for a minute for a picture? And he didn't even bust a sweat, wasn't even breathing hard. 180 pounds of solid muscle, you <laughs> know, not really. <laughs> he's like, how many do you need? What you want? I was like, man, Michael, pretty diesel. So anyway, he's holding a child. <laughs> he's holding a child. Disciples pull close, and this is what he says. If anyone causes one of these little ones, those who believe in me, to stumble, it would be better for them if a large millstone were hung around their neck and they were thrown into the sea. Isn't that encouraging, you know? All the children go, ah, you know? Do you ever read passages like this and like say them over in your mind and the like language or context that you hear them in? For me, this passage has always been Mafia Jesus. I read it and it sounds a little something like, if any one of you bozos (laughs) cause one of my little bambinos to struggle, It'd be better for you if Tony strapped a rock around your neck and threw you in the harbor. You know? (laughs) It's like, (laughs) I see it. Isn't it a little more sticky that way? You feel it? (laughs) You won't forget it. You won't forget it. But I'm going to tell you right now, this passage, as a father of five, as someone who's actively involved in a church that sees 2,000 children every weekend across all of our campuses as the guy that lives in the house in the neighborhood that all the kids always come over to play. Don't cause one of these little ones to stumble. Man, it's a little scary for me. Because if I think back on the times that I've overreacted about the drink that was spilled in the back, or the arguments among my kids when they were yelling at each other that I came in yelling at all of them, or the times that I've dishonored Katie with my words. Man, he didn't say if you lead one of my little ones into a lifestyle of sin if you cause an addiction in their lives or if you create a wound in their hearts that they spend the majority of their lives trying to overcome he says man if you cause one of these little ones to sin it would be better for you if a millstone were hung around your neck you were thrown into the sea the visual that this would have brought to mind for them was so vivid a millstone was a, a giant stone with a whole bore in the middle of it. I brought a picture for you that a log would be stuck through. It would be strapped to a donkey or an oxen for the purpose of grinding up grain. Just a vivid picture for these guys of saying, hey, are you going to be perfect? Are you going to not cause a little one to stumble? No way. The standard wasn't perfection because we are all going to fall short of the glory of God. We're all going to set a bad example at times. But what Jesus wanted to communicate to them was that you need to live your life with such a sense of urgency, acknowledging that children are watching you, impressionable, innocent, pure. And we understand that in the context of a child to a parent, but the same is true here at church for new or young believers. The world is watching us saying, how do they respond? How does he respond? We set the standard for what's acceptable as a Christ follower. They gave them a vivid, vivid picture in their mind. So what are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to respond? Two different things here. Number one, we keep watch over our lives, meaning that we need to take sin seriously. When we stumble, when we drop the ball, do we need to let it define us? Do we need to get stuck in it? Absolutely not. But we don't need to be casual with it either. We need to acknowledge it as sin, repent of it, confess of it, and move on. I've heard it said that those who dwell on the past are condemned to repeat it. The number of times that I've overreacted to one of the kids and gone to bed that night, sifting through the details of my day, and and would pray, God, I don't wanna be like that anymore. Help me to be different. It's a great prayer, but I've missed a few very important steps. What I need isn't behavior modification, I need a heart that is changed. When we drop the ball, we gotta call it what it is, that I sinned, repent of it, and apologize. A couple weeks ago, I was taking Abel to school, and um, he was just falling apart in the back seat. I mean, like crying, fussing, flailing, kicking all around, boogers, crying, the whole deal. Then he then he would wipe his nose on his sleeve, I'm like, "Man, you represent me, you know? I just ironed that shirt, rolling up in here with boogers all on it. Get it together, you know? That's gross." So I've been patient with him; like, I hadn't lost it. He was upset because we were out of Lunchables, which I understand as a long kid. (laughs) Your meal, the drink, the dessert, all in one cool little box that fits in your bag. It's neat, you know. But I had made a lunch for him, the sandwich, the snacks, juice box, the whole deal. And so I had been patient, patient, patient until we pulled in the school drive. And I realized we had about 45 seconds to a minute and a half before he got out of the car. And finally, I just gave it to him. This is not how a Walters gentleman acts. You sit up in your chair. I haven't even heard you say thank you on the days that I have bought you a Lunchable. I made your lunch. You know, I just, all the stuff went off on him. And I don't regret the words that I said. I wasn't hurtful with my words, but my tone was totally inappropriate. He sat up in his seat and got it together. And as he got out of the car, uh, pulling away, not in a like guilt-ridden, condemning way, I heard God say, aren't you glad I don't talk to you like that? And man, I drove home and it just wrecked me. I walked in and talked to Katie, I was crying, I was like, babe, I just uh, felt like God held up his heart and compared it to mine. And if you would have asked me, how am I doing with the Lord, how am I doing in my parenting, I would have said, man, I feel, like, I feel like we're in a good season, I feel like I'm doing good, I always got ways to grow, you know, whatever. But I just saw in a moment how different my heart was than his. Came into the office and went and sat down with Pastor Michael for a minute, that's actually the day he held me in that, i was <laughs> just kidding. oh goodness but I did go see Pastor Michael and I was like bro I've got a lot to do today but man my heart is so tender because I'm just wrecked over the way that I talked to Abel and what God said will you just pray with me you know later that night Abel came home we talked about his behavior and my response and I asked him for forgiveness and we prayed together all that to say we're not going to get it right we've got to keep watch over our lives and when we drop the ball Call it sin, repent of it, confess it, ask for forgiveness, and move on. Second thing that we've gotta do is keep watch over theirs. So we keep watch over our lives and we keep watch over theirs. One of the metaphors used in scripture uh, for the local church is that of a family, that we are all brothers and sisters. Another one that it uses is that of a body, that in some way, based on our unique gifts, uh, that when we function together as one, And one of the byproducts of that is that we have a shared responsibility for the children in our midst that we would keep watch over their lives. See, where children are not lacking in energy or excitement or emotion or ability to show it, they are lacking in wisdom. And I'm not going to see all of the things that they do or don't do. And so it's our responsibility as overseers for all of them with a shared responsibility to help them connect the dots between their behaviors or actions today and the consequences that they're going to live in tomorrow. When we keep watch over their lives, that looks practically like if you see somebody from my family doing something or not doing something that would ultimately lead them down a path of death, that you would say something to them. If it was just dishonoring to God or maybe they were going to hurt themselves or others, that that you would step in and do something about it. Then you would come and talk to me or to Katie about it, not all at once. You know? We can't be opening up a new response station. There's a chance that might be a lengthy line. you know. But that we would have a, a shared ownership over them. Our lives, the way that we live and the way that we watch over there and lead them into paths of righteousness are either gonna bring about our transformation and ultimately lead to theirs or it's gonna lead us down a path of death and destruction and they are following us. It's critical that we protect the innocence of children, that we keep watch over our lives and keep watch over theirs. So how to never ever grow up. Number one, we hang out with children. Number two, we protect the innocence of children. Number three there on your outline, we share in the faith of children. So Jesus had just left Galilee. He was in the region of the Judea. He had been doing all of this teaching and talking about children how important they were in the kingdom of God. This would have been a prime opportunity for the disciples uh, to maybe put into practice some of what they heard. At this point, crowds of people start bringing children to Jesus, and this is what we read in verse 13. People were bringing little children to Jesus for him to place his hands on them, but the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. Truly, I tell you, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. If we don't receive the kingdom as a little child, we will never enter it. Man, I finished reading chapter 10, read through chapter 9, went back to 8, jumped up to 11. I'm like, all right, if I've got to receive it as a child, surely he's going to give me a few attributes, you know, of how children receive so I can make sure that I do that. But Jesus doesn't provide a list. I think one of the primary reasons for that as adults, as mature believers, we would read it and think okay, well yeah, of course, I've got that, I know that. But because he doesn't give us a list, it forces us to humble ourselves, to observe and learn from children. I've never taken my kids out to eat and let them pick out the meal and they would maybe even ask for a dessert or get a soft drink instead of a water, usually we go water to save some money, you know what I'm saying? Uh, they'll order everything, and, and they've never finished the meal and been like, man, Dad, whew, that was great. What do I owe you, you know? <laughs> like, it just ain't happened, you know? They will freely receive. They don't question whether or not they deserve it. What was my behavior like? To, you know what, I didn't do my chores today, Dad. I'm going to sit out on this one. I'll make a sandwich when we get home, you know? <laughs> they've got no problem receiving this free gift, and the same is true in entering into a relationship with God. They can freely receive the incredible gift of his son without questioning, well, do I really believe all of that or uh, do I really deserve that? Is my life worthy of that? Man, they can freely receive it. That if we are gonna receive the kingdom like a child, there's a lot of questions that we struggle through, places that we get stuck that we need to put behind us, that we would share in the simplicity of their faith. I think one of the reasons that this is so important is found in chapter 10. Uh, A young man comes up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, keep all the commandments. And he says, well, good, I've done all of that since I was young. What else must I do? And Jesus says, if you really want to inherit eternal life, go sell all your possessions, give the money to the poor, then come and follow me. And it says that the young man walked away sad because he was a man of great wealth. And at that point, he turns to the disciples. It's the only place in the gospel where he refers to them as this. But he says, children, how hard it is uh, for us to inherit the kingdom of God. See, in the same way we look at children, with their energy and excitement and passion, uh, free to express themselves and share what's on their heart, it's the same way that God looks at us and calls us his children. And he so desperately wants us to step into the freedom that Christ came to offer, to see us walk in and share in a faith that isn't reserved or isn't worried or concerned about what other people are gonna think about us, what others are gonna gonna see in us or think in us or question of us, because he sees us and he delights in us. He sees us and loves us. You know, when I think about the church that I see In the future, there's a lot of ways that it looks very similar to the one that we have now. Children and parents and grandparents, students all coming together to go after God, experience his power and presence. But as a church, we're now 26, 27 years old. You know, we're a a young adult, you know. But as we go into the future, I, I read the other day that for a child to flourish, it looks like becoming an adult but for an adult to flourish, it looks like becoming a child. As we grow as a church, as we step into a new season, it's critical for us as mature believers, as folks that are going after him, that we would learn from children, that we would pick up some of the attributes of their faith, that we would freely receive the incredible gift given to us in Christ, that we would go out and be ambassadors for him, represent him to all the world, that others would step into new life and abundance of, lives, of life, not abundance of lice. that would be awful. <laughs> <Crazy>. <laughs> because of the simplicity, that would really be terrible, there ain't nothing worse, sorry. <laughs> All because we're willing to hang out with children, because we're willing to protect the innocence of children, we're willing to share in the faith of children. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word. I'm thankful, God, that it does not return void. And uh, I'm thankful that you've chosen to do uh, just incredible things in our lives through the presence of children. That you, you've chosen to take the, the wise things and the complex things and reveal them to little children. God, may we be challenged today by the simplicity of their faith, by their willingness to receive. God, I believe for many of us today, there's truth that you've been wanting to speak in to our hearts and lives. Uh, Words that scripture says of us, of who we were created to be, of how you see us, God, that our hearts just haven't been fertile soil to really receive that truth. For many of us today, God, may our, our hearts be like that of a child. May we freely receive the gift of your son. May we freely receive the identity that we have in you. May we share in their faith and walk in the abundance of life you came to offer. In Jesus' name, amen.